Welcome to the Think Like a CFO podcast, where we dig into not only what it takes to start a business, but to keep your business thriving for years to come using my signature CFO money method framework. I'm your host, Melissa Houston, and I am a CPA and business financial coach. I have over 20 years of experience in business, and it is my passion to share my knowledge of business finance and personal finance with other women. You can also follow me with my column at Forbes.com or my column with Entrepreneur.com. Jacqueline Snyder and Mina Kunlo-Sithep are the combined force behind The Product Boss, which is a small business coaching platform and popular marketing podcast. At a time where small product businesses are having to pivot their business plans, Jacqueline and Mina have become a key component to their successes through The Product Boss online courses, weekly podcast, the small biz shopping directory, and so much more. Together, they have grown a community of high-achieving product-based small business owners and have helped them scale their physical product businesses through coaching, digital courses, and they highlight female founders each Monday on their podcast. Their goal is to change the landscape of product entrepreneurship by connecting small business owners around the world through a blend of real-life business tactics, creative strategy, and modern leadership. In addition, Jacqueline and Mina co-founded the Shop 1 in 5 Pledge, which is a commitment to make 1 in 5 purchases from a small business, online or offline, realizing the importance of supporting small retail businesses, online shops, makers, manufacturers, restaurants, and so many other small businesses that are the backbone of our economy. I had so much fun speaking with these amazing women, and I know you're going to love this episode. Hey, Jacqueline and Mina, I am so happy to have you ladies here with me today. This is like super exciting. How are you? We're great. Thank you for having us. We're so excited. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. We are pumped. This is super exciting. This is actually my first time doing a duo interview as well. So the product boss, I love that. I love that you ladies promote helping entrepreneurs release their products. And can you tell me a little bit more about the business for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So we are the co-hosts. This is Jacqueline, by the way. And we're the co-hosts of the Product Boss Podcast. And we help physical product-based business owners build profitable businesses with strategies for improving their systems, growing their visibility, and ultimately making more sales. And we do that through our podcast, through courses, through masterminds, and through strategy sessions. And so we, what we saw out there in the market was that there was all this information and these courses and podcasters that were really specific to uh, service-based businesses. But nobody was talking to the product-based businesses. And Mina and I, both as product-based business owners and with clients that are product-based, we realized that the information, we were always twisting the information, trying to figure out, well, how do we make that work for products? And so vice versa, we ended up saying, okay, well, let's make this work for products. And so that's how we started the podcast and ultimately the business. And from what I understand, it's only been in business for a few years. Is that correct? Yeah. I think you started three years ago. We did. We became very fast friends. So I believe in internet years, it's more like 45 years. (laughs) (laughs) No, it has been three years, but we've learned so much. And we really have been entrepreneurs for my 
I've been an entrepreneur for about 15 years myself and Jacqueline has been for, I think, 13 years. So we have been entrepreneurs for a long time. It's just the product boss has been in existence for a few years. Yes. And I do recall hearing that, but I'm amazed that, okay, first of all, it's great that you both have your own businesses as well. Mm -hmm. But when you came together, like the product boss took off very quickly from what I understand. Yeah, we've been really lucky to build it up to where it is now. I mean, we have over 30,000 students and we've impacted so many different businesses. It wasn't, we didn't think that this was going to become our main business, the two of us. Like you said, we both have our own businesses. I've had designer consulting co-ops since 2007 where I help people. I'm a fashion designer by trade. And so I've been consulting startup fashion brands again since 2007. And Mina is, has, is the owner of Little Labels, which is a product-based business. And she's been running that. So when we met and we're like, let's try this podcast and let's try a master, let's, you know, host a mastermind and have some students. It was only a Friday job. <laughs> the product boss was just Fridays and the other four days of the week were other businesses. And it's definitely switched over now where our other businesses are getting way less time than this one. But this, the product bosses has such an impact. We're blown away by, by that, that it, it's just been, it's just been so incredible. So tell me when you're serving clients, what is their typical type of issues that they have being product based businesses? I think the first one we initially saw was that they had a really hard time finding each other, which is why we've grown so quickly is that we really tapped into a really big gap in the market, right? People were feeling alone with their boxes, you know, of things, of products. And so we really bring some guidance and community to people who want connection and being product entrepreneurs. Also, we help guide them in things that they just simply don't know as far as what should I be saying to my customers? What should I be doing as far as business systems and um, how I can build my business? And where can I take my business as a small business owner? Those are a few of the things that we help them when we guide them that they initially have questions about. So when you speak of that, like, are you referring to their messaging and marketing when you're helping them? Yeah, I think here's the thing. When we meet with business owners or they come to us, the very first thing they think is if I had more eyes on my business, I could sell more. That's their first point of that they're thinking it's marketing, visibility. A lot of times people are on Instagram and they think if I had more followers more people would buy. So it definitely does start with a marketing perspective of it. I think that's that initial hill that they have to overcome or realize that there's some strategies behind that. It's not about more followers on Instagram. It's about building their email list. It's about becoming known. It's about developing relationships with our customers. So yeah, we definitely start with visibility. And that's probably because and marketing, that's probably because that's the thing that they come to us as their biggest trigger problem. And then I think after that, when they start to get the tips and tricks of what to do, we have a course called A Year of Content that helps them with basically that, a year of content for product-based businesses. Then we move them into the idea of sales. Mina was saying about systems and sales where we're starting to establish their businesses. A lot of times these people are are makers. They had a great idea. They started growing it out of their house, off their kitchen table in their garage. And they knew they they created a product. People want to buy it. And they're like, more people need to know about it. Then the next step is, is, well, how do we establish these systems? in your business? How do we scale your business? And how do you make more sales? That's amazing. And you also mentioned earlier, you talk about profit, making their business profitable. Is that correct? We really 
really want our business owners to be profitable because Yay. lots of times. <laughs> Why lots else are we doing this if they're right. not profitable? Exactly. Really there is a little bit of a guilt sometimes when makers are making something and they start charging for it. We don't believe that they should have any guilt because they're putting their time towards it, but they need to know that they're profitable in a way that when they, they get busy, that they have that built in. Otherwise they are just simply being busy. You know, they're just taking away from their time with their family or whatever mm-hmm. else they want to be doing. But really, if they wanted to build a business and contribute to the household with a financial aspect of that, how are they going to do that? And they really just have to look at the profit in the products. Are they really priced to sell correctly? What are they doing to help them scale their time and money? Is it worth it to them in the end? You know, what is their life going to look like? So all those have to do with what type of profit they have in their products because sometimes they need to raise their prices or sometimes they need to figure out what systems they could better scale their products in order to save time or outsource or do other things for them. I think a lot of times they don't realize that there's holes in their boat, we call it. We're like, here's your boat. It's rowing along, but there's holes in it and it's draining. And that's, and a lot of times money, you know, profit is draining out the bottom. So they might be thinking, okay, I'm getting more and more sales, but they're not actually profitable. So I think one, it's, we call it plugging the holes in the boat in simple ways. Also making sure they're profitable. Um, especially if they're a maker, they may not be paying themselves for labor. And then on top of, cause, cause, and a big thing, honestly, is for Melissa, it, is that they'll sometimes sell products that they could never be profitable on. And so we start to identify, we do this, we help them identify what products they're selling, what are their best sellers. And then it's kind of painful for them, but sometimes we ask them or tell them that they need to drop a product, raise the price, drop it, or like just be okay with letting it go because that's not the reason, that's not going to move their business to the next level. And we've seen Mm. such amazing results with them taking those making those decisions. Okay. For listeners out there, I actually featured the product boss in Forbes. So we've had a conversation similar to this. And when we were talking about it, I really loved the way you ladies explained it about using your most profitable, best-selling product and pushing that and focusing on growing that product and releasing the ones that were not performing as well. That is exactly what we teach because a lot of times as a small business, you only have so many resources. But if you're trying to make new things all the time or try all these different marketing messages, it's really hard to know where your money is going. Mm -hmm. More production, more marketing efforts, it leads to confusion. So we really refine their product. So we look at what is their bestseller. And it's not necessarily the one with the biggest profit. It's the one with the best stories around it, the one that their customers love the most, the ones that they can sell all day long, all night long, the ones their team likes to make, you know, it's less stress on the team. They also have great reviews. Those things, we call them the best of the best. We really start to define the numbers for them and look at their products and they become more confident because they're aware of where they're making the money and they're aware of what their customers want from them. And they're aware of the stories they can start building in order to get their customers to buy from them and to connect with their customers. And all in all, it becomes a really fun way to do business. But also I'd say the margin, right? So we have a student that we work with and she makes pottery, like beautiful pottery. She has a huge team that makes it. And as we've worked with her over the last couple of years, um, I remember she said one of her best sellers were these mugs, these gold handles. They're beautiful. 
bestsellers. But when we started breaking it down, even I think were they profitable, Mina, or not really? They were profitable they were. and they sold, sold so easily. But they, they were hard to make and they, they, the handles broke a lot and, or chipped and people would send them back. And so when we looked at the margins and we looked at all the other products that she sold and how this was like a problem child, let's call it within her product lineup, we were like, you know what? This, you might want to let go of this one product. Actually, a couple of things. We also let go of a spoon and a couple other things that she was making. And she's never looked back and she's had the most profitable, like, you know, multi six figure months, the most profitable years that she's ever had, even during you know, a pandemic. And she hasn't said, Oh, I wish I still had those because she's, her customers are voting with their dollars. They're focused on what they're selling. There's all these bowls that she sells and there's multiple sizes of them. And so she's really refined her products and she's watched her business grow and her team has loved it. She's been able to scale things easier and she's been more profitable. Yes. And that makes complete sense. So I remember when we last spoke, you had also talked about this wonderful business where this woman was making gold bangles, I think. Yeah. So we had a a strategy session with her a couple years ago and she came to us. She's a she's a jewelry maker. She makes these gold bangles. She was making rings and earrings and all these beautiful things out of solid gold. And we had a strategy session with her and we were talking about her product lineup and she really built the company based off these bangles. It was a something that her grandfather had given her grandmother every year of their marriage and she kind of wanted to emulate that and create a business around it. As we're talking about it, we're talking about her processes and her systems, we challenged her to lean into the bangles and to drop the other things. She didn't need necklaces or rings or earrings. That wasn't what her customers were coming from. And so at that point, she was, I think she was about 750,000 in revenue when we met with her. Six months later, she hit a million dollars in new revenue, right? Like, so 750 for an entire year. Then she hits seven figures in six months. By the end of the year, she has a $2.2 million business and she's on track to be another, I think, 6 million this year. So it's again, it's about two and a half years later. So you can see, so she leaned in hard to best-selling product. Her business has catapulted into other levels. She has a team that's trainable. She's able to scale this product. And it's just been incredible to watch her grow. And it's scary, right? She's like, I'm a jewelry designer. I should have all of these products. What she did though, is she didn't make one bangle. She made variations on that bangle. And so she even just released, I think, an almost $4,000 bangle, one of her most expensive products. So you can see that she goes between like a $300 bangle to a $4,000 bangle because as people start to collect them, they want variations and they're going to keep coming back for more. And we're seeing that happen in her revenue as well. It's so amazing how such small tweaks like that can make such a huge difference. Do you get a lot of resistance from clients when you see that maybe they're in love with selling a certain product, but it's It's not that profitable. You know, they have such an emotional investment in it that they find it hard to release it. We do. That is always the initial reaction, actually. (laughs) (laughs) There is that resistance because it seems too simple, right? It seems Mm -hmm. too simple to let's let this go and then it will grow your business. But they also do what you said is that they have an attachment to it. They don't actually look at it as, oh, this is what my customer is telling me is that I really want this and I really want you to give me more of that. They feel like they need to give them, oh, they want rings, they want earrings, they want all these different things. So Mm -hmm. for them, it does take a little bit of convincing, but then it gives them clarity. It gives them relief when they start seeing, oh, this is actually working. And then they can focus their team on that too. And it really is the way that we've seen small businesses grow in quantum leaps because they, they've had so much focus. We had a student that was making on Etsy, right? She was making all these custom products, like custom tumblers, custom 
soap bottles. And when we first started working with her, she was making $2,000 a month and she was making all the things like this person's name, this saying, just all the things on all, on all the things. Mm-hmm. And when we really helped her focus and we're like, what's scalable in your product line, which are these soap bottles? And she was figuring out how to scale it. She got those onto Amazon. For example, she was able to scale a single product. And so that's what we say to you. If you can take your bestseller and it's scalable and you can get it into other platforms, other sales channels, that's the thing that you lead with. So she jumped onto Amazon. I think within three months, she had gone from about 2000 to 8000 And then a few months later, she got up to 12000 Now on Amazon alone, she's bringing in 30000 in revenue just on these bottles. And so we've seen this growth as well. And again, it's scary. They don't believe... People And this is the same with service businesses too, right? Hmm? That spaghetti at the wall. You don't believe that if you lean in hard and you go deep and not wide on certain products that you offer, that could be the thing that, and I'm going to say we're guilty of it too a little bit sometimes, but you get worried. You're like, well, they need more or there needs to be something else to get all the people. But instead, it's like really focusing on your best sellers and scaling with that. Now, would you say when your clients come to you that they're aware of their numbers and they know which products are making them money and which ones aren't? Typically, no. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I knew that answer. (laughs) Mina, do you want to elaborate? (laughs) No. (laughs) No, that's a short answer. They don't know. It's because it's really hard because they're in it. They're trying all Mm -hmm. these things. They have all these ideas. They see other people doing different things. And that's really hard. And they get all these different ideas of what they want for their business. And it is hard to convince them of what it could be when they start to narrow in on what's working. And so they don't know because usually they don't even know their numbers, Melissa. That's where we start. We start with looking at the numbers because the numbers are a clear indicator of what the products are that they need to lean into. And Mm -hmm. when they're not confident with numbers, they just don't want to even be aware of them. They're they're confused by them. They don't know how to look at them. And they don't see that as a gift when they get to know their numbers and their data. Numbers are just numbers. They would just tell you things. And so that is how we start is we look at the recap of what, what they've done so we can look at where they need to focus. And that that's usually what happens. And no, they don't usually know at the beginning. And the numbers are not like CPA-ish numbers, right? That's overwhelming sometimes, especially for creatives. So we tell them, look back at your months and your sales, look at what your best sellers are, like what revenue, what's the percentage that it brought in, but also them numbers wise, discovering what their best months are and their worst months, looking at their mm-hmm. lowest selling products and their best selling products. It's so simple, but it's a really, it's that hard jump initially because creatives especially are just what's next or there's shiny object syndrome. It's pretty simple. We don't break out the P&Ls just yet. First, they just mm-hmm. need like simple data to go off of. Yeah. And it's really great because when they get that feedback and that's ultimately what it is, it's feedback. And I really try to emphasize with clients to take the emotion out of it and just look at what your numbers are telling you because you can tweak numbers. If you've got a product that you love and it may not be as profitable as desired, but there is potential to increase the profit by cutting some costs, then by all means go for it. But if you don't take that data and consider it, you would never know Mm -hmm. and you would continue selling products at a loss. So I think that's fantastic that you're teaching your clients how to look at their numbers and understand their numbers because I mean, you and I both know that 
both of you and I both know that your business success is dependent on how well you manage your finances. Oh yeah. And it, and it's just simple things, right? Because even when you th- think about, oh, these, this is where the profit is. This is, these are my best sellers. And you, like you said, there's sometimes there's the holes of not being profitable. But when you think about the best seller and what we're teaching them, there's things like, Hey, if you have a best seller and you're making a whole bunch of these particular things, then you can get the bulk rate of whatever the raw good is. So if you're making the bestseller of this particular candle and this particular scent, imagine how you could scale that, right? It's Mm -hmm. not about even the finished good at that point. You're saving money on the raw goods and you're saving time on the systems that it took you to get to that finished good. So it's all goes together as far as saving money and saving time and then really selling what you know is going to sell. Absolutely. It's really good information too for everybody who's selling product and not only just product based, but service based business as well. It's, you know, this is really good information to go on. I'm curious to know what are the biggest mistakes that product based businesses usually ma- are making? They don't know their numbers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it now. Second biggest mistake. <laughs> I would say one thing that me and I have been working a lot on with them is stabilizing and scale scaling. So a lot of times, like I said, when they come to us, they're like, we want more visibility. But is their business even set up for for that visibility, right? Are they set up to take the orders that they imagine that they're going to bring in? So one of the things is that they don't stabilize and create systems in their business and foundational elements and standard operating procedures. And really, and again, we're talking about creatives here. We're talking about people who are scrappy mm-hmm. and creative. These are, a lot of them are makers or they manufacture their product and they're like, yeah, let's do this. And they already have, they figured out a lot of things, um, just like entrepreneurs, right? You just figure it out. We're going to get this business up and running and we're going to figure it out later. But they haven't really stabilize their business enough to take the opportunities that are coming their way. And so I would say that would be one part. And then when they're in scaling, when they're taking those bigger opportunities, coming back to stabilization as well, because every level that you grow in your business, you're going to need to continue to come back and stabilize, hire a team. Um, There's a lot of, you know, those growing pains. Yeah. I've been sitting here thinking about that because there's a few things we've mentioned throughout this podcast of, you know, the mistakes we've seen as far as, you know, they don't validate their product at the beginning, which is usually the validation is in the numbers. Like what we said of people vote with their wallet and they tell you what they want. So you're validating the ideas that they want from you. Another thing I think would be that they don't seek expertise. We see a lot of people that they want the expertise, but they don't know how to invest in the expertise, for example. So there's lots of things and programs and masterminds for service-based business owners. But in order to save money and to save time, you do have to invest in some sort of education. Usually you have that knowledge to go off of. Product-based business owners, they sometimes happen upon being a business owner and they don't understand that time and money is really just about reinvestment, right? What is your ROI? So while you can do this alone and sometimes, well, almost every time make the mistakes of spending the money and making the mistakes on your first run or whatever it is, making something or whatever it is, they don't think about the return on investment when they buy a course or they have a mastermind or they think, oh, that's for somebody else. That's for a business owner. They don't think of themselves as a business owner soon enough. I would think that's one of the mistakes that we see because a lot of the resistance that we get from them is that, well, I'm not, I just don't have the business sense or I don't know my numbers. It's like Mm -hmm. they don't want to identify with it almost when 
they do actually have a business. And it's actually a wonderful thing to know your numbers. Absolutely. And it's usually a mindset issue around yeah. that, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, going back to something that you said earlier, too, is, you know, businesses who want the visibility and they want to grow quickly, but they're not necessarily equipped for that. I've heard of the Oprah effect. <laughs> so, but I would imagine that would definitely tie into it, right? Where if you're featured on Oprah and then all of a sudden you've got massive orders coming in and you can't mm-hmm. keep up with production. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've heard of businesses failing because of this. Oh yeah. All the time. Not just Oprah. I call that the shark tank effect. Yeah. Agreed. Oh yeah, Shark Tank too. It happens all the time, right? Those are the people that have not stabilized. They've only scaled because they don't have the infrastructure in place. And Mm -hmm. so they get the visibility, whether it's on Oprah or in Shark Tank or whatever, but then they have no production in place. They have no systems. They're not even, they don't even have fulfillment in place. So there's all those places where they have the holes in their boat, like what Jacqueline and I say, and it's really hard for them to scale. It's really hard for them to keep up. And then they become overwhelmed because then they they become the bottleneck because they're not sure how to do all those things. And then they've hit capacity, but their capacity is really low because they haven't set up the right systems in order to meet the demand at that time. And it's really hard on a small business when they do that. They're having to do all the things, but they haven't thought about, okay, what does this mean if I were to get that Oprah spot or that visibility? Exactly. We just asked that question actually the other day in one of our lives with our community. We were like, what do you think you, which one applies to you? Are you the bottleneck or that you need more eyes on your business? And the huge majority of them said eyes on their business. I think that's a default, right? People are like, if more people knew and they think they can handle the sales, but they're not thinking absolute best case scenario, like you said, if Oprah were to post it. This is actually something that I've seen happen, especially being in the fashion industry for so long. And we were talking about this too, where some years back, I worked for a celebrity and our our dress line was on The View and on the Tyra Banks show. That's dating it, right? (laughs) So (laughs) we were not ready to sell this one dress and people started calling. We didn't have email system. I mean, this is old school, picking up the phone and answering it and like writing down on scratch paper, like so-and-so wants the dress in Omaha and we weren't ready. And the thing that we did actually is, yes, it was a missed opportunity on ROI, but we didn't go nuts. We actually told them it was sold out and we would take a wait list. We just, we weren't prepped. And I think the hardest part, sometimes businesses will try and jump. They'll take that huge leap and they'll crash and burn a little bit versus sometimes turning down the the orders or turning down that or saying or turning it off in a way, right? Saying, okay, it's sold out. Let's get a wait list going and see how we can keep up with it. It's definitely something that we've seen time and time again. And we're hoping, especially with the businesses that we work with, that we can continue to help them to stabilize no matter what level they're at. That is really excellent advice because it's true. I mean, and I probably would be guilty of being tempted to try to fill the orders rather than have a logical headspace and say, you know what, let's make a wait list. (laughs) (laughs) So I have another question and I'm really curious. I know I've seen this on your website. You have a shop one in five pledge. Can you share with me what that's all about? Yeah, sure. So we founded the Shop 1 in 5 pledge. It is a pledge to make the commitment to shop one in five of your purchases from small businesses. And we really created this from 2020 because we saw that small businesses really needed our support. And we know the impact that small businesses can have. They make up 44% of, what is it, Jacqueline? 44% of jobs in the nation. Small businesses also contribute to their local economies. They're unparalleled in contributing to their local economies, which help their national economy 
economies, which help the global economy. So small businesses are super, super important. So it really came from that idea of us all coming together and really supporting small businesses with a pledge that made sense. How can someone support small businesses in their lifestyle? Well, it's just one in five of purchases. So that's only 20% of your purchases going to small businesses. And you can really sustain that in just normal life of one in five of your purchases. But the way that we're pushing it is online and offline. So I know mm-hmm. that there's been, you know, there's big movements out there that are towards shopping from small businesses on certain days of the year. And you're, and when they're talking about Main Street USA, and I think that's the easiest way. I, I know I was talking to my mother-in-law and she's, yeah, there's the local store that she goes to to think about shopping from a small business, but there's so many businesses online, especially, you know, within our community and also service businesses. And we're not only talking about product, we're talking about hiring small businesses to do your accounting or, people who clean your house that have small businesses, you know, these it's, it's that. And so they're real people and it's online or offline. And so that's one thing we've been using it as a way for one, for consumers to gain awareness of their impact, how they can impact knowing that their purchasing power matters now more than ever that, you know, you could go to target and buy yourself a kitchen spatula, or you could go online and buy from a small business that sells kitchen supplies or your local kitchen supply store. And maybe you might be spending an extra couple bucks, but knowing that that's going towards contributing to their household, putting their kid through college, putting food on their table, hiring your neighbors as employees, it's worth it, right? That, that extra few dollars is worth it when you know how you're impacting. And then on the flip side, for our community, we're using the Shop One and Five pledge as a way for them to use tools from us. So especially in our Instagram, we have posts and images and data that they can then take and repost to their customers. So they use it as a tool to bring awareness to their customers. So continue to support them as a small business, as well as making those decisions in their day-to-day life. I love that. That's ingenious. It's a great way to support uh, small businesses. And I really appreciate that the fact that you take the time to put that information out there for your audience. Thank you. If there's one big takeaway that you'd like listeners to walk away with today, what would that be out of this conversation? Know your numbers. (laughs) (laughs) Support small businesses. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think for, I think it's the idea of, I, I think there's like you were saying, there's a mindset thing and I'm, I'm guilty of mindset, especially sometimes when it comes to money mindset. And it's something that I've had to learn throughout my, my life as an entrepreneur, as just a person trying to get comfortable with my numbers, but also the mindset of I'm a creative by nature. And knowing that I used to think, you know, I need a business partner or not a business partner. I used to think I needed a business partner with an MBA, which funny enough, I ended up with one, but back his hand over here, <laughs> but back before <laughs> with my other business that I've had for almost 14 years, I've never had a partner and it's been successful and I've had a team and I've had an office and, and knowing that I had that, those, that capability, you know, it's like Dorothy, like you always had the ability, you know, to go home. And so that's, I think, the thing I think entrepreneurs do need to keep a tally on their mindset and to continue to work on that and to continue to stretch yourself because you are courageous. You are scrappy. You're an entrepreneur. You can do anything, but you just need to make sure that you continue to work on yourself as an entrepreneur as well. Absolutely. I love that. And you really need to know your numbers because nobody's going to care about your business as much as you do. Right. You don't need to be a CPA. You don't need to be an MBA, but you need to know your numbers and everybody can learn that, especially when you're, you're, it's your baby. You're invested in it. It's a responsibility as an entrepreneur to, to get to know what's going on within your business. It's the best way to know what's going on is when you know your numbers. 
I am so appreciative of having you here today, ladies. It's been a lot of fun. Now, if listeners want to get a hold of you, how will they find the product boss? Well, you can find us mostly over at Instagram. We're at the product boss and we're also at shop one and five. So that's the number one and the number five. So that's shop one and five. We also are at www.theproductboss.com and shop one and five.com. And we also, (laughs) I'm thinking I'm missing something here. We also have a podcast. So anywhere you listen to podcasts, we are the product boss podcast. So find us there and you can hear more. Awesome. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you, Melissa. This is wonderful. Yes, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Think Like a CFO podcast with Melissa Houston, CPA. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. Until next time, I'm Melissa Houston. And remember, nobody will ever care about your business as much as you do. So never give your financial power away.